This is Africa Digest. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African perspective. We're broadcasting to you live from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. And we are on the frequency 7260 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And online, it's www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with Onelensinsi, Tracy Boomgaard, and Musa Budimakura. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour... Rapper WHP remembered as Mutswako pioneer at memorial service. Malawi fights to end child marriages. A Cameroon church has questioned the outcome of the country's presidential election. In economic news, uh, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has welcomed the progress uh, the G20 Africa Summit has made. And in sport, the Springboks will be without some star players in their test match against England this Saturday. But first, let's find out what is happening in the world of news with Ms. Anglensensi. Thank you, Samara. South Sudan's armed opposition leader, Riek Mushara, is expected back in his home country pending the country's latest peace deal. This is more than two years after he fled on foot into exile. Mashar is returning to take part in a nationwide peace celebration, leading a small delegation but not bringing his own security, despite concerns for his safety. Under the peace deal signed last month, Mashar will be President Salva Kiir's deputy once again. That arrangements had twice collapsed in deadly fighting. The Roman Catholic Church, the main religious body in Cameroon, has issued conflicting reports on the conduct of the October 7 presidential election in which the incumbent Paul Bear was declared winner. Mwake Kinzeka has more. He says people should congratulate Paul Bia for his victory, especially as electoral disputes were handled in a transparent manner by the Constitutional Council. He says everyone should recognize Bia as the president-elect, start preparing for the next election, and thank God for the peace that was observed during the presidential poll. U.S. President Donald Trump says he will scrape a constitutional guarantee to citizenship for anyone born on American soil. The headline-grabbing move has bolstered his anti-immigration platform a week before mid-term elections. The surprise announcement follows the dispatch of more than 5,000 regular troops to the Mexican border. The highly unusual move was prompted by Trump's warnings of a migrant invasion. Zimbabwe continues to grapple with cholera since September when the outbreak was officially declared an emergency. This is the second largest cholera outbreak the country has seen after the devastating epidemic that left more than 4,000 people dead in 2008. A partnership with the Ministry of Health and Child Care supports the World Health Organization and other partners, MSF, has also supported the planning and management of vaccination campaigns in order to prevent the continued spread of the disease. 
Lastly, the National Prosecuting Authority in South Africa believes it still has a strong case against Nigerian Pastor Timothy Omodoso. Despite delays, the case is being heard at the High Court in Port Elizabeth in the Eastern Cape Province. Omodoso and two co-accused, Zukiswa Sito and Lusanda Lusulani, are facing about 97 sexual-related offences. The case was delayed as the defence wanted the preceding judge, Mandela Magaula, to recuse himself from the case after accusing him of being biased towards the state's first witness, 22-year-old Cheryl Zondi. Last week, Makaula dismissed this application and again today, he dismissed the defense's application for leave to appeal the decision. NPA provincial spokesperson Tepo Ndalwaza says they will now proceed with the case. The judge has said it clearly that he dismisses the, the appeal and we believe that he has taken a just and proper decision. The defense is going to go to the SCA to petition them so that the, the, the judge can be, can be recused and as well as the charges quashed. But we, 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 we still believe as the NPA that he has taken the right decision and we, we stand by the fact that we have a strong case and we, we will be going ahead with it. Channel African News, I'm Onilins Insi. The time is now 17.06 Central African time. You are currently listening to Channel Africa. Africa Digest coming to you live from our studios in South Africa, Johannesburg. Now, South African rapper Casper Nuvest, a longtime friend and fellow musician of Jabulani Tsambo, who was fondly known by his fans as WHP, has described him as a friendly and approachable uh, despite his celebrity status. WHP died in Johannesburg last week at the age of 38. Speaking at the memorial service of the hip-hop star in Johannesburg earlier on, Casper shared fun memories of how he met WHP. Joburg is very tough and unfortunately this is the place where we have to come as artists to come and pursue our dreams and you get to a place where you know Omotswana, you're from a small town, nobody really respects you, nobody knows anything about where you're from and the one thing we had was the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was your one reference. Have you been to the 60s? No. If you don't know where I'm from. Do you know WHP? Yes, that's where I'm from. That was, you know, what we got from Jabba. And I remember one time, the first time I saw him, I was sitting, and he passed up. And I said to my mom, you know, this guy's a celebrity. My mom didn't know who he was. And I'm like, I, I want to be like him one day. My mom didn't understand. The second time I saw him, and blind. So I was there since the morning, and here comes this guy, Anna Solantis. And yeah. And he had a yellow jazz phone. I had never seen anybody's phone being so busy, you know? And that's when, like I said, okay, so celebrities get phone calls all the time. That was the second time I saw him. And then the first time I met him and spoke to him, Nelokoleta Moring. And Jabba had this thing of greeting you like he knew you, even when he doesn't. So the first time I met him, I think Ayanda is the one who introduced me to him. 
and said, yo, this is Casper, because Ayanda was working at something called Expression, so she was an MC there. So she said, yo, this is the Casper. This is Casper, anyway. So, who's it? Sure, sure, nyora. And I felt like he knew me. But I later on realized after chilling with him that this guy greets everybody the same way. <laughs> it doesn't mean that he knows you. And then fast forward, working with Jabba for the first time, I was taken in by Tasman when I was 16 years old. I dropped out of school. And I came to Johannesburg. I was doing this music thing. Everybody thought I was crazy. But anyway, I was working at, I was living at Tasso's house. And one time I, I woke up and I saw WHP's car outside, which meant he was in the studio. So I walked in the studio like I didn't know he was there, you know. So I just walked up, ah, show Uhizu. And on the spot, he was playing Wamtsibamto. He's like, yo, man, uh, I think you'd be perfect for this song. And Jabba would always put you on the spot. And he'd expect you to arise to the occasion. And that's how our relationship started. We made that song. Jeva started calling me at like 12 in the, in the evening or 2 a.m. and said, That's how we shot the video. He didn't tell me anything. That's why I look so pop in the video. Because he just said, Six o'clock, got on a um, taxi, came, only to find out that we're shooting a video. Shot this video. Months later, I started traveling with Jabba. Jabba used to pay me for every show just to hype him up. That's how I started making, uh, I got a source of income then. Um, thank you. And that is South African rapper Casper Nuvest paying tribute to his longtime friend and fellow musician, uh, Jabulani Tsambo, otherwise known as WHP, who passed on in Johannesburg last week. Now, something that might affect some of us directly, the SABC says retrenching 981 permanent employees and not renewing the contracts of 1,200 freelancers would result in a saving of 440 million rand per annum. The public broadcaster has issued a notice to all its employees informing them of its intention to embark on retrenchments as a cost-saving measure. Horisani Sitole reports. Earlier this month, the retrenchment process was halted following the joint consensus seeking meeting with organized labor. Last night, the public broadcaster announced that it's forging ahead. It said that the restructuring process will affect all employees at all levels in the SABC. Jonathan Tekiso is the SABC Group Executive for Human Resources. We have a wage bill currently that's sitting at 3.1 billion on a revenue of 7.2 billion. The wage bill is almost half you know, the revenue that the SABC is generating right now. So I don't think there's any organization that wants to go through a Section 189. The organization is now at a point where it's left with no other alternative but to start the consultation process with organized labor. This announcement is not sitting well with labor unions. Communications Workers Union President Obrichalala says the announcement came as a shock. We are shocked like I suppose everyone else. Uh, because uh, in the last meeting that we had was that uh, we are going to have a CCMA intervention on the matter in terms of the numbers of the people that are affected, the departments, and what is it that is looking for in terms of cost cutting. That has not yet happened, but uh, we find SAPC uh, finding it necessary to go public. The Broadcasting Electronic Media and Allied Workers Union, Bemau, has also expressed concern. 
Demos, Hannes Dubesson says this is not good news. We are obviously shocked by uh, the notice that we received. That is not the kind of news that uh, that one would hear here at all, uh, especially not uh, this time of the year. We thought that the SADC would reconsider rather than putting people out in the street, uh, find ways to redeploy those people at all necessary. The SABC also says it will approach the Labour Court to try to recover monies wasted as a result of irregular appointments, promotions and salary increases. Take it so elaborate. We're looking to claw back in excess of 60 million rand, which is as a result of those irregular appointments, irregular increases, you know, irregular promotions. And so the total amount that we're looking at right now is 60 million. And that is Jonathan Tegiso, the South African Broadcasting Corporation, SABC's Group Executive for Human Resources, ending that report by Horasani Sitwale in Johannesburg. If you are a freelancer uh, anywhere in the world, then be sure to let us know how such news would affect you if that was the case. You can, of course, head on over to our social media pages. That is at Channel Africa 1. And you can also send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za and send us an, an SMS as well to 8233259905 that is 8233259905 if you're outside of the South African borders be sure to use that international dialing code which is plus 27 Presiding judge in the court case of controversial pastor Timothy Omotoso has dismissed the application for leave to appeal his decision in the request of his accusal, uh, saying he sees no prospects of success to the appeal. This, as controversial pastor Timothy Omotoso and two co-accused appeared in the Port Elizabeth High Court. In South Africa today, the court case has now been provisionally postponed to the 10th of December and the defense has asked for time to petition Makaola's decision to the Supreme Court of Appeals. Andang Onji filed this report. Presiding Judge Mandela Makaola told the court that he was surprised when he heard for the first time from senior counselor Terry Price that the accused felt he had a cozy relationship with the first witness Cheryl Zondi. He said Cheryl was constantly emotional and his attempts to make sure she was fit enough to proceed were deliberately taken out of context. He further told the court that he saw it imperative to state silent submissions on record after taking note of the defense's style of questioning. Makaola was responding to allegations that he seemed biased and discrediting of the arising evidence from advocate Peter Doberman. Thus, after he stated on record that Cheryl mentioned a flight ticket presented to her by Doberman before seeing it during cross-examination, Makaola told the court he sees no prospect of success to this appeal and reminded the defense of his duty. It is the duty of a legal representative to represent his or her client to the best of his or her ability. But foremost... It is the duty of that legal representative to strive at all costs to assist the court at arriving at a proper and just decision at all times and not to endeavor or use strategies which shall set the court up for failure. However, defense attorney Peter Doberman said he would petition this decision in the Supreme Court of Appeal, leading to the postponement of the case. For that reason, the matter is postponed to the 10th of uh, December 2018 provisionally. Hopefully things would be clear by then. So accused number one, you shall remain in custody as before. Accused number two and three, you shall be out on bail on the same conditions. And I think we relaxed the condition that you should report uh, to the police on whichever days you were supposed to report. That is all, Coach Alajan. 
Gender activist and whistleblower in the case, Pamela Mabini, believes that this is just a delaying tactic. It's uh, just the delay tactics. By now we're expecting that I'm sure the second witness will be done. I fail to understand all these unnecessarily delays that dopamine is bringing. But then I respect um, Judge uh, Mandela Makaula. NPA provincial spokesperson Tsepondwalaza is adamant that they still have a strong case despite these delays. The judge has said it clearly that he dismisses the, the appeal. And we believe that he has taken a, a just and proper decision. The defense is going to go to the SCA to petition them so that the, the, the judge can be accused and uh, as well as the charges quashed. But we still believe as the NPA that he has taken the right decision and we, we stand by the fact that we have a strong case and we, we will be going ahead with it. Doberman also reiterated that family members of Omutoso are assaulted and intimidated when they enter the court. He has called that the trial be conducted in an open court where members of the public, including family members and supporters of the accused, are allowed access. He says currently only a very limited number is allowed. I am Andangonji in Port Elizabeth. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Channel Africa. African traditional leaders, including kings, queens, chiefs, and religious leaders, are meeting in Malawi to discuss ways of ending child marriages, female genital mutilation, and other harmful traditional practices in Africa. Now, statistics from the UN Women indicate uh, that every year 15 million women are married before the age of 18. Correspondent Sarah Kimani is also attending the meeting and sent us this report. The meeting in Blantyre, Malawi, comes after a similar one in Nairobi in August this year, in which it was agreed that traditional and cultural leaders will champion the end to child marriages, female genital mutilation, and other harmful traditional practices against women and girls. Nyaradzai Ngumbo Vanda represented the African Union, while Kondwani Nankumwa is a minister for rural development in Malawi. What we term child marriage, we know is essentially sexual exploitation, sexual abuse, and rape of, of the daughters of this continent. We are confident that a powerful movement of traditional leaders, faith communities, parliamentarians, civil society, and the girls themselves will shift the tide towards the eradication of these practices. As most of Malawians live in rural areas, Estimated at 85% of the population, this means traditional leaders have a key role to play in fostering behavior change, bearing in mind their authority, influence and commitment in the fight against HIV and AIDS, as well as in the promotion of women's rights. It's quite telling that Malawi was chosen as a venue for the meeting. Paramount Chief Chungu from Malawi. Half of girls are married before the age of 18 because I understand their families are too poor to support them. 
teen pregnancies and the low share of girls, teen pregnancies contribute to between 20 and 30 percent of maternal deaths and the low share of girls on about 45 percent remain in school past eighth grade. Those gathered at the meeting agreed that political will to end these harmful practices must include stringent punishment against those who carry out child marriages and other harmful traditional practices. Dr. Izadua directs Briggs, the regional director for United Nations Women for the East and Southern African region. We really enjoy our culture, we really respect our culture, but we cannot stand and see a culture discriminate against our daughters. The deliberations from this meeting will be delivered to the African Union Heads of State in January next year. Sarah Kimani, SBC News, Blantyre, Malawi. The Roman Catholic Church, the main religious body in Cameroon, has issued conflicting reports on the conduct of the October 7th presidential election in which the incumbent Paul Bia was declared winner. One indicates the election was transparent and the other that it was marred by fraud. Moki Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. Church bells ring at the Our Lady of Victories Cathedral in Yaoundé, inviting Christians for the first mass to be said by Jean Barga, the Metropolitan Archbishop. Archbishop Barga says the special mass he is organizing is to pray for peace in Cameroon and salute the victory of President Paul Bia in Cameroon's October 7 presidential election. La première chose qui convient en ce moment, c'est de féliciter le candidat élu, Monsieur Paul Bia. He says people should congratulate Paul Bia for his victory, especially as electoral disputes were handled in a transparent manner by the Constitutional Council. He says everyone should recognize Bia as the president-elect, start preparing for the next election and thank God for the peace that was observed during the presidential poll. The Archbishop's declaration that the election was transparent sharply contradicts the position of the Episcopal Conference of Cameroon Roman Catholic Bishops in which Jean Barga is a member. Samuel Kleda, Archbishop of Douala and President of the Episcopal Conference had criticized the election saying that the large turnout announced by the elections management body ELECAM on Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria home to the worst poverty levels in Cameroon, was particularly suspicious. He said 74% of the people live below the poverty line, compared with 37% in the country, according to the International Crisis Group. The Archbishop further questioned the declared victory of Bia in the troubled northwest and southwest regions, which had been engulfed in violent clashes after armed separatists vowed the election would not take place. Quand on voit aujourd'hui que ces gens ont voté pour ceux qui les dirigent actuellement 89%, ils disent ça me pose sérieusement problème. 
Samuel Kedah says he is surprised at claims that the ruling party candidate Paul Bia scored overwhelming victories in many parts of Cameroon, including the English-speaking northwest and southwest regions, where they themselves said they were unable to go to campaign because of galloping insecurity. He says petitions filed by opposition party candidates that the election were marred by massive fraud and did not even take place in Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria, suffering Boko Haram atrocities and the restive English-speaking regions ought to have been taken seriously by the government because Cameroon's unity is threatened. Cleda said that the fighting in the two English-speaking regions and the Boko Haram insurgents in Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria had displaced large numbers of people and they could not vote. The Archbishop said President Paul Bia should engage through dialogue with his opponents at the polls and leaders of armed separatist groups in the English-speaking areas of Cameroon if he wanted peace in the country. Issa Chiruma Cameroon government spokesperson described Archbishop Jean Barga's declaration as honest and accused Samuel Kleda of inciting hate. It is an attack by His Lordship Samuel Kleda on the conduct of the presidential election in our country. President Paul Bia has never waited for instructions from anyone to make dialogue the preferred means of resolving the problem facing Cameroon, particularly those in the northwest and southwest regions. An estimated 35% of Cameroon's 24 million people are of the Roman Catholic faith. Jean-Paul Liken, political analyst of the NGO Cameroon Center for Development by Decentralization, said, says the Catholic Church is divided over the election outcome because politics has infiltrated into the church. It was a well-calculated period, and you know, a politician would do everything possible using the art of uh, the profession, politics. It is not every gathering that calls itself a Christian gathering that is Christian per se. On October 22, incumbent Paul Beer was declared the winner with 71% of the vote with his main challenger, Maurice Camto, only receiving 14%. Maurice Camto of the Cameroon Renaissance Movement Party, Joshua Osi, who ran on the ticket of the opposition Social Democratic Front and came fourth, and Cabral Libby of the Universe Party, who was third, had asked for the annulment of the results, but the Constitutional Council rejected their petitions. The accused Bia's ruling CPDM party of massive electoral fraud to keep the 85-year-old leader in office for another seven years. Bia is Africa's longest-serving president, having entered office in 1982. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé.
Very big thank you to Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé for that report. Uh, moving on right now, the French President Emmanuel Macron has expressed his support for Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed's reforms and diplomatic peace efforts. The East African country's leader was on a work visit to France in his first trip to Europe since taking office in April. In a joint declaration, France welcomed the rapprochement between Ethiopia and Eritrea and both countries pledged to continue their efforts in order to promote peace and prosperity in the region. Now, Abi will also visit Germany, where he will attend the G20 Africa Summit as part of the tour. Channel Africa spoke to Professor Jan Abink, Horn of Africa expert, about the significance of Abi Ahmed's uh, visit. There's a kind of uh, reset going on in the relations of Ethiopia with uh, not only the regional powers, regional neighbors in the Horn of Africa, but also with the, uh, let's say, the, 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 the world community, specifically the donor, the traditional donor countries. They were tense in the past because of, you know, repressive policies under previous um, prime ministers. But Abiy Ahmed has really um, reconfigured the whole political, political setup of Ethiopia and also the, the basic principles of foreign policy and domestic policy. And uh, he had an invitation from Europe, from specifically from, uh, from President Macron of, of June last year to come and to discuss the implications of his reforms for the country in the, also in, in terms of international relations. So it is, uh, it is part of Abiy's ongoing effort to, to really reconnect to the world community and also show that they mean business in, in you know, developing, giving a boost to the development of the country and its uh, positive role in, the, uh, in world politics. As you know, they have been also part of the Security Council, uh, the, uh, the temporary six-month um, Security Council membership. They have been reaffirming themselves in all kinds of regional peace initiatives with Somalia, with South Sudan, with uh, Ethiopia, uh, with the Eritrea and Djibouti. And now they, this one, this, this message, this visit to uh, to Germany and France, partners in in, in Europe, to key uh, powers in Europe after the Brexit coming up, coming up, is meant to to solidify, you know, the, the, the donor links and the donor, you know, donor institutional support for Ethiopia in its developmental efforts. After Paris, he is also heading to Germany, as you have indicated, right. where he will attend the G20 Africa Summit. What message right. do you think he will take to the G20 Africa Summit? Well, that Ethiopia is a good place for investments, that Ethiopia has a strong state and capable in bureaucracy, and he will, you know, he will try to guarantee that the investment interests of the European community specifically will be kept up. I mean, there was a fallback in investment after the big disturbances of 19, uh, 2015-16, a significant drop in investment interest, but now he wants to ascertain and to, to, to assure the EU powers that this change in, in governance structures, basically what he aims at, and this uh, new political formula which he opens up in Ethiopia is guarantee for, uh, for investment uh, stability and for conditions which will make the investment worthwhile. You were in Ethiopia when uh, Saleh Zewude was appointed the country's new president as part of the reform process in the country. What did yeah. you make of Zahoudis' appointment as uh, Ethiopia's first female president? A uh, very interesting and you know, probably also smart move by Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. She is a very seasoned uh, diplomat. She has a, a decades-long uh, uh, career in UN structures, in the IGAD, in, in the Horn of Africa. 
she's a proactive person. She has a lot of insights and is sensitive to the uh, to the problems of of Africa and Ethiopia specifically. And she really is, a, I think, is a good appointment. It's it's pioneering, of course. She's now the only head of state, a female head of state in Africa, and she will do the job. It's not the, the presidency in in Ethiopia is, of course, a kind of ceremonial role, like 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 in in Italy or in in Germany, but still important as a as a kind of figurehead and uh, exemplary person. And I think it's uh, it gives a good signal both to Ethiopia itself, which is yeah, we could say still quite patriarchal in a way. That was Professor Jan Abing, Horn of Africa expert at Leiden University, on the line from Leiden in the Netherlands, talking to Kumbero Munzerere. The time is now 17.32. On an instance, is standing by with the news headlines. South Sudan's armed opposition leader, Rick Mashar, is expected back in his home country pending the country's latest peace deal. The Roman Catholic Church, the main religious board in Cameroon, has issued conflicting reports on the conduct of the October 7 presidential election and U.S. President Donald Trump to scrape a constitutional guarantee to citizenship for anyone born in American soil. Channel African News, I'm Onelinsinzi. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Channel Africa. The quarterly labor survey released today by Statistics South Africa indicates that the country's official unemployment rate increased by 0.3 of a percentage point to 20. in the third quarter of 2018. Now, South Africa has 38 million people of working age. Of those, uh, 16.4 million people are employed, 6 million are unemployed, and uh, 15.4 million are not economically active. And there have been retrenchments in various sectors, while others, like the South African Broadcasting Corporation, uh, are to retrench workers. To get Labour's perspective on this, we're joined by a spokesperson at the Congress of South African Trade Unions, Mr. Sizwe Pamla. But Sizwe, hi, how are you? 
Mr. Pamela, what do you make of these latest results? Are you surprised? I mean, we're we're currently sitting now at uh, you know an increase of zero point three of a percentage point to twenty point five percent in the third quarter of two thousand and eighteen. No, look, we we, we are not uh, shocked at all, as Kosad. In mm-hmm. fact, we we were looking at the numbers and we're feeling. <clears throat> Uh, it's not. Uh, it's better than we thought. We thought it was going to be worse than this. Mm. Um, you, you, uh, if you look at what we have been doing over the last couple of months, there's not much. Um, you look at the outcomes of the job summit. Uh, yes. we, we we were hoping that uh, if there's one thing that the job summit was going to achieve was to at least have a moratorium across the board mm. uh, on retrenchments, uh, so that we can then bring in uh, institutions like ITC. To help those uh, companies uh, uh, that are struggling, um, but uh, that didn't happen. Private sector rejected, and uh, of course we, we understood what that meant. Uh, what it meant was that uh, all those ones, uh, section 189 applications were going to be processed because in South Africa you don't need to negotiate when it comes to the transmission. You only need to consult, yes. and then you can retrench workers. And uh, also, there is not much that has really been done to kickstart the economy. Um, uh, you, you look at uh, the investment uh, investment summit, you look at the mid-term budget policy statement, you look at the president's stimulus package, there is not really much that, that is going to make a dent in the rate of unemployment in this country. So for us, we think uh, uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it, it, it's a vicious cycle, really, because mm-hmm. with the high cost of living, what we are experiencing now uh, is even individuals. Uh, I mean, you look at the domestic sector, a sector that hasn't really uh, performed like this in a long time. Uh, domestic workers are being retrenched because people are struggling uh, to keep them because of the high cost of living. Uh, South Africans in their own homes are unable to uh, uh, continue employing domestic workers. Uh, the the uh, small medium enterprises, uh, if you look at the fuel heights, the electricity charges, and the general cost of doing business, especially at that level, they themselves are starting to either really let go of some workers, but others are facing uh, closure. Mm. So those are some of the challenges that we have been noticing over the last quarter, and we understood that uh, with this challenge, there is no way one is going to have these kinds of uh, stats coming out. So, Mr. Pamela, right now, I heard you saying that it's uh, better than you guys thought it would be, but would you say that the situation is dire right now? No, it, 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 it is worse, actually. Um, it, it has long reached a, a, a crisis level. Mm. Uh, what we have in this country is really uh, it's a slippery slope because the majority of the unemployed are young people. Yes. And we should never, never assume that we are immune to what we saw happening in uh, Arab countries where the high unemployment rate amongst the young people led to young people really rebelling and revolting against the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at, uh, at, at, at the figures, what is even more shocking is the fact that only the informal sector recorded some employment gains. The, the entire uh, 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 formal sector uh, declined in employment. Now, what, what, what is the most about this is because the mid-term budget policy statement wasn't talking to the informal sector. It wasn't about trying to help uh, the informal sector into the mainstream. It was about addressing the concerns of the formal sector, the same formal sector that is no longer really absorbing uh, workers. Because 
what people are, especially those who are in charge of decision making, are ignored is the fact that big corporations are pursuing automation and mechanization because their competitors are doing exactly that, not just in South Africa, but around the world. Yes. So you are not going to have them uh, uh, employing workers anytime soon. So some of the jobs that are gone are gone forever. So what we need to do is to look at those small medium enterprises because they are still in a position to really employ warm bodies. For an example, uh, in the retail sector, uh, Amazon Go and, and Pick and Pay are already experimenting with the automated uh, uh, teller systems in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is going to happen as soon as they roll that out? Because the Labor Relations Act of this country actually does allow them to replace workers with machines. You are going to have shareholders in other uh, r- r- retailers forcing their own uh, senior executives and CEOs to say, mm-hmm. if Pick and Pay and Amazon are going this route, how are you going to compete with them if you don't uh, really keep up? Exactly. So as soon as they roll that out, it means all the, the retail sector is going to follow suit and thousands of jobs are going to get lost again. Mm. So what is Kasatu's plan to assist government and the private sector in order to come up with ways to save jobs and not only that, but to create new ones as well? Look, all of, we did a study uh, recently, a, a, a short study is Kosatu, to look at uh, the sectors around the world. In fact, we, were, we are starting a process of really doing a, a preparing a paper mm-hmm. on uh, the fourth industrial revolution. But as we were looking at the countries around the world, I mean, South Korea, Japan, and the U.S., the countries that have been performing quite very well when it comes to employment creation, we have picked up one thing. They are no longer creating jobs uh, uh, in the more formal sector, or they are not relying on big corporations to create jobs. Most of the unemployed are absorbed by small medium enterprises, something that in South Africa we have not done enough to really uh, uh, encourage. Now, we have also looked at what are these big bottlenecks that are frustrating uh, these small medium enterprises that they are not thriving in this country. I mean, the interest rates, for an example, Mm-hmm. Uh, they are so high that uh, those businesses that are in debt or that have borrowed money are, are struggling to keep up with, with, the, with the payments, especially because they are not a, a, a big and powerful business and, and, and the level of competition in this country is still closed to them because of the domination of the economy by the, the, the big centers. But if you look at a country like Germany, when we were looking at how is it that a country like Germany in 70 years has managed to do so well after the Second World War to say it is the biggest economy in the EU? We realize that the, most of the lending practices in Germany are actually directed towards productive uh, lending, not the consumption lending that we see in South Africa. An average garage owner in this country who wants to borrow a million rand will, will really have a lot of obstacles to jump through before it gets that million land if it mm. is about in reinvesting into that garage but yes. let that garage owner go to a bank and borrow that million rent to buy a, a, a range Rover. that garage owner is going to get that money uh, because it's consumption uh, 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 approach of, of the financial sector they mm. would rather give you money to buy a car than give you money to expand on your business so these are the challenges and we think that the best way for government really to ensure that you have this accessible and affordable finance to these small medium enterprises is to firstly have a state financial institution, but also have more financial institutions that are regional in nature, that are provincial, including actually, as we have learned in Germany, there are non-profit banks 
that yes. only operate in small areas. Uh, I mean, a, a place like Soweto in Germany can have its own not-for-profit banks where small businesses are able to go for productive lending. So we think that we need to, to transform our financial sector, make sure that we force the big uh, banks to, be, uh, to compete with the smaller banks because we have many banks that are able to lend people to run their own businesses in an affordable way rather than to keep giving people money to either buy the, 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 these goods that we don't produce anymore, that are imported, and they plunge us into debt, and then we have a new mm. All right, but since we're lastly, uh, we are running out of time, but I just want to touch on the fact that you've raised concern with regard to the retrenchments by the South African Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, uh, have you called on the ANC government to intervene? We have indeed. Uh, uh, we, we, we are still reiterating that call. I mean, we met uh, two weeks ago with the Minister of uh, Communications, Nobu uh, Mugonyan, who actually said we are opposed, that they are opposed to retrenchment, but we said, look, that's not enough. Mm. Saying we are opposed is in name only is not really enough. You need to do something about it. It was even before the Midterm Budget Policy Statement. Yes. We were hoping that some bailout was going to come out as a way of showing government's opposition to this retrenchment. And only SAA was really bailed out. So what we now are forcing government to do is to say, look, you are not going to have your cake and eat it. Where you are going to go into a job summit, sign a framework that says uh, under government there will be no retrenchment. And then in an institution where the sole uh, 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 shareholder is government, yes. when the recession takes place, you go hide. So this is not really acceptable, and it's something that we are trying to force government mm. uh, to, to really intervene in. So what we are trying to do now, of course, uh, what also uh, makes it difficult for us in terms of turnaround time, is the fact that our general secretary is outside of the country and the president is also engaged. But we are yes. trying to set up an, an emergency meeting with the board and also to, to, to have a second meeting with the ANC Thompson to raise the issue to say, uh, either we, we are going to take President Ramaphosa seriously or not, mm. because he cannot go there, sign this framework, and then when something like this happens, he decides to pretend <laughs> as if it has got nothing to do with him. Yes. And, and if we do not trust him, it means that there will be no cooperation. Uh, we have all the tools that we can use to fight back. We were hoping that we are going to be constructive partners, but if our partners that w- 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 we are willing to work with are not really negotiating in good faith, we, we have no reason to continue being constructive. Mr. Pamela, thank you very much for speaking to us. It's always great to engage with you and find out what uh, Kosatu thinks or where Kosatu stands in terms of the things that are happening in terms of the working environment for South Africans. And that was Mr. Sizwe Pamela, spokesperson at the Congress of South African Trade Unions. But right now, uh, Tracy Boomgaard is standing by to let us know what is happening with our money. Thank you. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has welcomed the progress of the G20 Africa Summit as made in line with its commitments last year. The summit launched the Compact with Africa initiative. It's expected to drive investors in Germany to invest more on the African continent. Various African heads of state are attending the summit in Berlin, where business has pledged its support for investment in Africa. German and South Africa continue to enjoy good trade relations. 
German companies have a major stronghold in the country as they employ more than 100,000 South Africans. Ramaphosa has also thanked other African countries who have shown key interest in the initiative. We now have a list of flagship projects worth billions of US dollars which are identified but which are also earmarked for investment. And this represents the efficacy of this compact. We are convinced that the the impact of the compact with Africa will enhance the involvement of developmental finance institutions. Among these institutions that have expertise and approaches that could be used to mobilize resources for Africa's infrastructure. Libya's state oil firm has asked for the increase of salaries for oil workers by 67 percent in 2019. The North African country approved in 2013 such a pay rise, which was never implemented due to the acceleration of chaos, blockages and protests hampering production. The chairman of the National Oil Corp, Mustafa Sanala, has called for the central bank, which manages Libya's oil and gas revenues in the absence of a government and parliament with national reach, to make additional budget allocations for NOC to repair facilities. Sanala said the wage increase was justified based on the recent rise of oil production to 1.35 million barrels per day the highest level since mid-2013. There have been small protests over wages and work conditions on several facilities in recent weeks. Workers, like many Libyans, have been suffering from high inflation driven by the falling value of the Libyan dinar that has made food imports more expensive. Egyptian economist Abdul Khalik Farouk has been released from jail. Farouk was arrested over his new book, Is Egypt Really a Poor Country?, which takes a critical look at the country's finances. Farouk, a well-known economist, was arrested on October 21st and accused of spreading false information. The book argues the state suffers from bad management of public funds rather than a lack of resources. Analysts have warned of a further rise in unemployment in South Africa. The warning comes after Statistics South Africa reported that unemployment rose to 27.5% in the third quarter from 27.2% in the second quarter. The rise in unemployment comes as a result of declining employment in the formal sector and private households. Sectors contributing to increased unemployment include agriculture, mining and manufacturing. The reported rise in unemployment figures in the third quarter comes after government's job and investment summits, which were held in efforts to boost economic growth and create jobs. Labour analyst Terry Bell elaborates. Well, I'm not surprised, and I think that uh, just point two rise is uh, we should perhaps be grateful for, because I think we're going to get heading into a much, much tougher time, and it's going to mean more job losses. I know the president is calling for greater investment in order to create more jobs, but investment doesn't necessarily translate into jobs, and we're going to have a situation, I think, perhaps of jobless growth. China has defended its controversial decision to ease a 25-year ban on trading tiger bones and rhino horn after conservationists warned the government had effectively signed a death warrant for the endangered species. China's cabinet unexpectedly announced it would allow the sale of rhino and tiger products 
under special circumstances. Those include scientific research, sales of cultural relics and medical research or in healing. South Africa is continuing to battle rhino poachers who killed at least 1,000 rhino last year. Most of the animals were slaughtered for their horn. The U.S. dollar is trading at 10.58 Botswana Pula and at 11.52 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 3.65 Brazilian Hale, at 65.69 Russian Ruble, at 73.18 Indian Rupee, at 6.96 Chinese Yuan, and at 14.57 to the South African Rand. It's also trading at 78 pence to the British Pound and at 87 cents to the Euro. In commodities, gold is trading at $1,227 and platinum at $833 an ounce, while the price of Brent crude oil is at $77.10 a barrel. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bomgard. And right now, let's find out what's happening in the world of sport with Musbudi Mokura. Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with football news, Thomas Denebe, the head coach of the Nigerian women's national football team, has cut down, down the number of the home-based players in camp as they continue with preparations for the upcoming Women's Africa Cup of Nations finals that are taking place in Ghana next month. Now, the team has been training at the Jubilee Chalet and Resort Epe in Lagos. Channel Africa's Tony Oban reports from Lagos. The Swede, who graciously allowed the players to feature for their respective clubs in the Nigeria Women's Football League at the weekend, recalled a handful of those he feels can give the invited overseas-based professional players good fights for places in the final squad as Nigeria aimed to retain her continental title and claim the trophy for the ninth time in 11 championships. Among those returning cap for the second phase campaign, which will commence immediately, are four goalkeepers to Ochuku Oluehi, Chiamaka Nadozie, Christy Ohaneriako and Onyinechuku Okeke. Meanwhile, Desiree Ellis, head coach of the South African national women's football team, is in Zurich, Switzerland, attending the inaugural FIFA coach mentorship program. Ellis was in camp with the squad to prepare for the upcoming 2018 Africa Cup of Nations tournament set for next month. And assistant coach Tina Sonkembuli is in charge of the team in her absence. Now, she's expected to be back in the country on Wednesday to continue with the Banyana Banyana preparations for the AFCON tournament. Now, the FIFA project is designed to support female coaches by enabling them to acquire new knowledge, skills and experience that they can harness in their careers. Now, female coaches from around the world have gathered in Zurich for the two-day workshop where they will be paired with colossal names of women's football, allowing them to benefit from in, um, invaluable first-hand advice, gain new ideas and of course share the best practices. Stone Football News Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola has expressed his sympathies for former teammate Yulin Longtigue following his sacking as the Real Madrid manager. Madrid had confirmed the Spaniards' departure after only three months in his first season in charge following a dismal run of form which was compounded by the 5-1 thrashing at the hands of arch-rivals Barcelona over the weekend. I'm so disappointed. 
football, I know what it is. So we are here because, still we are here because sometimes we win games. We need a win, we'll be sacked. I'm sorry for Julian because he's a friend of mine, he's a, an exceptional person. Was my, we, were, we played together in Barcelona and have an amazing relation. And I would like to, of course, I wanted to call him in the next days, but uh, it's, it's what it is. So football, nobody escaped of that. So when you have burn results, you will not continue. And big, big, big places like Barcelona, Madrid, or these kind of places. So or you win in a row or you don't have chance to, to continue. And rugby Springbok coach Rossi Erasmus has confirmed that Willie LaRue, Francois Lowe and Favre de Klerk won't be available to play in Saturday's test against England at Twickenham. Speaking from London, Erasmus says the fact that the match of uh, the matches rather, or rather the match falls outside the test window obviously means that the players will not be released by their own clubs. I'm fighting the 31st December in Japan again. I mm-hmm. might be a rematch. Apologies for that. Uh, but finally, in boxing news, South African boxer Heki Butler had a good year having won the World Junior Flyweight title in Japan earlier this year. He narrowly beat Japanese Roeche Taguche in Tokyo on points. Taguche was one of the few unified champions in boxing holding the WBA as well as the IBF titles as well as the Ring Magazine's bout given to him as the champions of the world. Now Butler says he might fight the Japanese in a rematch in December. I'm fighting the 31st December in Japan again. I might be a rematch, might be someone else. So we're waiting for that. Um, Colin will have all the information. You know how it works. Colin, he finds them, manager finds them everything before the fighters. Um, and then hopefully next year I can get into another unification fight. Maybe if we're against the WBC champ Ken Shiro. He's undefeated. I'd like to fight him. It'd be a good fight. Um, but there's a few guys out there, a few good champions, and hopefully the fights can be made and we can challenge each other. I'll leave it over now. I'm back with more sports news just before 8 p.m. Central African time. This is Africa Digest. And that is how we wrap up Africa Digest for this hour. Be sure to tune in again at 7 p.m. when we'll be back for more Africa Digest and we'll be finding out hashtag where is Pumalele today. From myself, Samora Mangesi, uh, producer Ronald Perry, technical producer Wiseman Mangaile and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. For comments on the show, uh, you can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or you can send us an SMS to... 82332-5905 that is 82332-5905 and if you're outside of the South African borders be sure to use that international dialing code which is plus two seven and taking us to the top of the hour is Kajanin with Wale Watu we'll see you later bye